Good Monday morning, and welcome to another episode of the podcast, Insanity, A Peace of Mind. I am your host, Stephanie. Episode 92, we'll be finishing up anxious, insecure attachment, and then I'm going to take a break and we'll get back to it eventually. So finishing up, and I am still using Annie Chen's The Attachment Theory Workbook for much of my information. If attachment styles are of interest to you, I would recommend this book. Because it's a workbook, there are exercises and things you can do. It is a really wonderful way to sort of explore the idea of attachment and attachment styles. So the very end of this particular chapter has a few sections, and I'm going to start with the idea of empathizing with your insecurity. So there's been a lot of information about anxious attachment. And so coming on the heels of that self-compassion and accepting others. Let's talk about empathy so that you can get a better feel for this experience and the experience that someone you may love is having rather than just thinking about it. So One of the difficulties that anxiously attached people experience is the inconsistency in their relationships. And anxiously attached people have expectations that may or may not be reasonable to be met. And it's important to note that the inconsistency of those being met, whether intentional or unintentional, causes a great deal of stress in the anxiously attached person. So in order to create empathy for yourself and empathy for another, it's a good exercise to think of a few things that you depend on. And their presence in your life and their regular appearance in your life is really critical to your well-being. So what would that look like? Something that you depend on every day that you feel some amount of gratitude for. And that can be your morning exercise routine that can be the um, maybe your morning ritual that you do every morning it can be a conversation that you have with a loved one at a regular time that is planned for it could be a, a paycheck it could be something in nature the seasons And so thinking of something that you depend on that supports your well-being and that you are grateful for. So you've got something, it could be a person, it could be a thing, it could be an experience, it doesn't matter. So you have this in your mind and now it's time to imagine that 
something that is com- something is completely out of your control. And this thing that you just wrote about that you depend on and supports your well-being somehow is no longer consistent and you can no longer depend on it. And what would that feel like if you lose the sense of security that comes from depending on a paycheck or depending on the change in seasons or depending on a relationship experience that you have consistently. Now things are unpredictable and now you are disappointed and your anticipation of this experience is met with inconsistency and stress. So experiencing all of these heightened emotions when you have lost the security of something expected. So with those feelings and with that anxiety, what would it feel like to be in relationships when you are experiencing the kind of inconsistency and lack of security that comes from something or someone not being dependable? Your perception of the world changes. You no longer have the luxury of seeing things or seeing people as reliable. And therefore, you have a difficult time connecting and feeling safe. And these can be general experiences that create a state of being for someone that then translate into relational experiences. So it doesn't require an anxious person or an insecurely attached person to be disappointed by another person in order to feel anxious. This can become a state of being for them when the things in their life feel unpredictable and unreliable. And this affects relationships. So a way to deal with this kind of state of being, especially as it relates to relationships, is something that is very important in many, many other things, and that is healthy communication and being able to talk to other people about how this impacts your experience in relationships and your attachment experiences. So anxiously, insecurely attached people can sometimes behave badly. That does not have to be tolerated as just a byproduct of the anxious attachment. 
there are ways to address it through healthy communication, whether you are the anxious partner or you are in a relationship with an anxious person. So thinking specifically about your own attachment-related behaviors, you can see how tendencies of these patterns create distance or closeness or dependency in your relationships and then learn skills that will help create comfort and calm while you work through some of these issues. Healthy communication, clear communication are really important things to engage in, behaviors to engage in and learn while you're working in your different attachment styles with your people, whoever your people are. Being in relationships with people who have attachment styles that are different than ours or that we find difficult does not mean we have to accept the bad behavior that negatively impact the relationships. And so as you think about your own attachment style and your own behaviors related to that attachment style, and you think about the people that you are in relationship with, your children, your coworkers, your partners, it is useful to acknowledge the styles in this instance, we're talking about anxious styles and see how they impact closeness and dependency and see how you or the other person is left without comfort or calm in these interactions that are often negative because of our different attachment styles. And as you think about that, and as you contemplate how you are with other people, start thinking about how you communicate. People with anxious attachment tend to project their distress when they're hurt or frustrated or somebody has triggered them. And when they communicate that, oftentimes it's blaming and demanding and comes out really angry and hostile, hostile. And then the hope is that the person who is the other will pick up on what they need and will go ahead and meet their needs. This is not direct. It is not clear. And while it sometimes works, it's not particularly healthy and it's not reliable because what works in year one of a relationship will probably not work in year two. And so it's important to learn how to communicate and express your emotions and your hurt clearly. If your communication style increases the stress in your partner or does not help them better understand you, then if you are getting your needs met by that person, it's because they love and care about you, not because you are 
doing it the right way. And so understanding and being very deliberate about how you communicate with your partner will increase relational longevity, good relationship longevity, and build strength and resilience in the relationship itself. This is a practice. It doesn't come easily, and oftentimes it doesn't come naturally. Being intentional in our communication can be really difficult. And so it also isn't as anxiety decreasing as just blurting something out in the heat of the moment. And blurting something out in the heat of the moment oftentimes is not the best thing you could have said. So taking some time to learn new skills and then practicing them is the way to go. And the beautiful thing about that is that these skills and tools will translate into all of your relationships. So separate and apart from many of the things that I have said about communication in the past, um, let's talk about the idea of kind of asking permission to have difficult conversations. And instead of just assuming that a difficult conversation can be tolerated by both parties. And again, this goes for all relationships, parents and children, work, friends, anything. These are good skills for everybody. Asking for permission to say or engage in emotional or relationally charged conversations is a useful technique because when we're just spewing out what we feel at any given moment, those are words and they can hurt and they can be detrimental and we can't take them back. And so learning a new way is really important. And this new way is not meant to decrease your ability or the likelihood of you being able to have a conversation or say the things that are important to you. It's meant to increase the opportunities and to improve the way it is received. So asking for permission to have a difficult conversation would sound or feel like um, stating an intention of what you want to talk about and then asking the other person if it's okay. So for example, if you have a Let's say it's a 17, 18 year old child who has repeatedly and is repeatedly violating a curfew. And the there's some nuance, and it's not all just blatant disobedience. And so as the parent, you understand that there are some other things going on. This might be a particularly busy time for this child. They might be 
engaging in a lot of social activities because they're getting ready to move or do something different. I'm layering on some variables to make this reasonable. And as the parent, you know that this child is under some stress and is letting off steam by socializing and staying out later than normal. And there's a lot going on. And so you don't want to aggravate an anxious person, but you want to have a conversation in a way that feels connecting and creates safety and security. And so considering the fact that this is an adult child and you want to respect that person, you might ask or simply state that you have a complaint about what's been going on in terms of curfew. And then just, again, simply state that you would like to have a conversation about this. And tell them that you have some feelings that you would like to express and you would like to renegotiate what has been going on. Now, don't get the wrong idea because this is a parent-child relationship. You are still the parent and you still have boundaries that you have around curfew. I'm using this example and I'm adding nuance to it just to show that this skill can be used in lots of different ways. This is not to indicate in any way that as a parent, you are abdicating your ability to just expect a certain behavior in your home. So don't lose, don't get off on a tangent or lose track of what I'm talking about. Part of the reason this skill is useful is because if you get permission to have this conversation, especially with a teenager or a young adult, they will be much more likely to hear you and interact in this conversation in a peaceful way that ex that helps them express themselves to a person who has created safety and connection. So if you want to be heard as another person, the person you're talking with and communicating with needs to feel like you are safe. And that is why this would work for a teenager. Another thing to say, if you've got that same teenager who comes to you and talks to you about some of the stresses that they're under, and they're, maybe they're applying to colleges or they're looking for a new job, maybe they have complaints about their current employment or their inability to pay for college applications, and they're coming to you and they're feeling anxious and everything feels overwhelming and out of control, you could ask if they want advice or if they just want to talk. You could say to them that you have some thoughts about their situation. And if they give you permission to share those thoughts, that child or that young adult is much more likely to listen to what you have to say. Another thing that you could do in clear and healthy communication would be to request a timeline. If you and your husband are having a disagreement about something and one of you or both of you are not handling it well because of different triggers or different emotions that are coming up, you can request 
a reset and just say, is there a time that you would feel better talking about this? I know that sometimes when we avoid talking about difficult subjects or we just sleep on something, that sometimes there's one person in the relationship who doesn't feel like there was a resolution. And there might be another person in the relationship who is just as happy to let whatever this was go by the wayside. So for the anxiously attached who need to feel that safety and security and dependability from their partner, it is perfectly reasonable and acceptable for you to ask your partner to say, is there a time or when would be a good time for us to talk about this? And let me know. It could be anything from conversations about your day-to-day business of running a family, and it can be heavier conversations about relationship issues between the two of you. Another clear communication skill is to go in with a time limit. I think one of the problems in communicating and talking about difficult things is that we feel like if we start, we're stuck in this hour-long conversation. It's helpful to say, can we take 20 minutes to discuss this issue and then stick to the 20 minutes? If you don't finish in that time frame, then schedule another time to keep going. But if your people who you are in relationship with know that you can stick to a time limit, whether you solve it or not, most people will be much more willing to come in and engage in potentially difficult conversations. Another one is to start a conversation and see how the person is responding and then react to their response. If they're responding well and it feels like you can keep going and kind of adding more of what might be concerning to you, then do so. If you can see that the person is checking out, dissociating, getting angry, not listening to you, but wanting to respond to you, then take a time out and say, I can see that this is more than either one of us can handle right now. Let's come back to it. And the, the probably the last one is just be ready to stop. So if you start with a willing partner in, in a conversation, doesn't matter who the partner is. It doesn't matter if you're the one with anxious attachment or if they're the one with anxious attachment. If you can see that this is not working out, take a break. This is hard. It is hard for people to take breaks. Kind of like what I said before, it makes people feel like they won't get a resolution because they won't go back to it. So I want to talk just for a second about all of these things I just said. State an intention. Check in with the other person and see if it's okay. Request a timeline. If you can't talk about it now, can you talk about it later? Go in with a specific amount of time. Can you give me 20 minutes to talk about this thing? Say just a little bit and then see if they're willing to let you go forward. Be ready to stop if it's not going well. These are hard things to do. We do not do these things naturally. This stuff takes work. It doesn't feel natural. It feels forced. It feels silly. 
And the reason it feels forced and silly is because we have no practice doing it. Anytime you start something new, I don't care if it's a new exercise, I don't care if it's a new skill, or if you're learning about a new subject, everything feels and sounds foreign. Your experiences of starting a new job or anything like that, a new school year for a kid, a new class for a college student, there is this newness and this discomfort. And generally, we keep going. I have this concern that when relational issues about communication and better listening and better emotional regulation, we give up on these skills very, very quickly. And oftentimes for good reasons. One, they're hard. Two, they take a lot of intentional work. And three, we are bloody busy. And it feels very much like dinner and cleaning and work and bosses and coworkers and dirty diapers and school and homework are much more important than learning how to relate based on our attachment styles. So I get it. And I implore you to stick with a new relational skill, a new communication skill, a new emotional intelligence style skill. I don't know if that's the right word. I implore you, please stick with it. Okay. I believe the last couple of parts of this anxious, insecure attachment is to talk about safety and security needs. Anxiously attached people need safety and security. Let me rephrase that. All human beings need safety and security. Anxiously attached people with the insecure style believe that there is inconsistency and that they are not always safe. So safety is about relief from an experience of threat in the body. Security is about reassurance that connection and resources are and will remain available. That is a definition taken verbatim out of Annie Chen's book. So when you feel secure with someone, you know that that person is reliable and that they will be there for you. And that to the best of their ability, that being there for you will include compassion and love and companion ability. And that emotional safety and security is the foundation of a good relationship that includes trust. And so if there if the relationship lacks safety and security, then it's hard to engage in even the day-to-day tasks. If I can't rely on my teenage son to pick up my preschool age daughter because that is his job, then that is an unreliable relationship that 
disconnects us. If I can't rely on my boss to give me feedback on my projects as she has committed to doing so, I don't feel secure or in, I don't feel secure that she will evaluate me honestly in my yearly evaluation. If I can't rely on my husband to fill the car up with gas when it is empty and he brings it home, then that decreases the safety and security that I feel in that relationship. These are mundane things. These are not really deeply emotional things, but the security and safety issues are the same. Those day-to-day things that are inconsistent and undependable disconnect you emotionally from the people in your life. So that's why this stuff is really, really important. So moving back into the communication and having some of these difficult conversations, we talked a while back about relationship communication and boundaries. And I think those were the podcasts, but there's this element of self-soothing when the conversations are not going well. And so that element of self-soothing is important in any kind of communication practice, because as you practice these new skills, you will get emotionally dysregulated and you will need to soothe yourself. So again, most of this is sensing what it feels like in the body, deep breathing, walks, music, reading, cooking, whatever your hobbies are, those are good ways to self-soothe so that you can decrease your emotional your negative emotional states. If you can ask for something from the person you are communicating with that might help you calm down, that would be great. Oftentimes young children can ask something from their parents to help them calm down. And so if that's the kind of relationship you have, always feel at liberty to ask for something. Okay, let's see. I think we will end with strengthening these relationships separate and apart from all of this attachment work just by gratitude and just by being grateful for the people that you have in your life. If it's your boss, if it's a coworker, if it's your children, if it's your spouse or your partner or your parents, Life is going to be rough. Not everybody will meet your expectations. You will feel insecure and unsafe. You will feel secure and safe. And you will need to fall back on the wealth of knowledge you have about what you appreciate about these people. What you appreciate about in your relationship with that person. So this is a good journaling exercise where you take some time 
and you write down the things that you're grateful for and you expand that list with as much detail and as much intentionality as you sometimes use in finding fault with the people you're in relationships with. Appreciation is a really good way to build what they call relationship capital. And doing it with the person is an added bonus. If you can sit down with a quote, difficult child, unquote, and talk about the ways that you value them and the things that you appreciate about them and the things that they are good at and how they benefit you and the family, that goes a long way when that child is someone that you are concerned with or who there's a lot of contention with. The other thing is to appreciate yourself. It can be hard to recognize the reality of our attachment styles and how they have impacted us and our relationships. There can be a mourning and a grieving period over that where we say things like, why didn't I know this earlier? Look how much damage I've caused. Or if you are the person who has kind of facilitated a an attachment style in someone you love, there's a lot of there's a lot of self-criticizing and a lack of self-compassion for ourselves. And so appreciating ourselves is also a good journaling experience. This gratitude practice and appreciation practice should be done fairly regularly with your loved ones. And I say that knowing that I hardly, I was going to say I hardly ever do that, but even that's probably not true. I don't do it enough. And I know that I don't do it enough. Okay, so I am going to give a quick recap on what we have learned. And then end this first style of attachment, which is the anxious insecure style. Okay, so we have learned that anxious attachment patterns, when they are acted out, affect pretty dramatically those people around you and you can burn relationships out pretty quickly. So understanding them and being intentional about your understanding will help. Oftentimes people ignorantly or without any real awareness act out their anxious attachment patterns in a desperate attempt to find safety and security in their relationships, oftentimes they're unproductive because the ancient anxious attachment patterns are triggering and generally not acted out from a place of love and connection. It is important to accept and show self-compassion. So you are accepting your own attachment style. You are showing yourself self-compassion. And this helps increase your awareness and build resilience in how you handle these things. Healthy, communica 
excuse me, healthy communication is a critical tool that needs to be learned and practiced. Okay, I think that is the end of anxious attachment, insecure style. John Bowlby, the father of attachment theory, said, we do as we have been done by. And have a great week. 